1: Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. The Sunday night get-together here on CBS Sports Radio. Jody Mack coming to you live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. When you want the ability to adjust your loan options in real time, rocket can we're going to rock it out to the diamond talk some major league baseball with our next guest he is former president of the florida marlins or miami marlins now Um, but these days he's doing analyst work for us cbs hq david Sampson joins me here on cbs sports radio how's the first uh, week and a half of the baseball season treat you dave
0: i'm not injured So I'm doing well.
1: (laughs) Avoiding the injured list or the COVID list. That's a good thing. We like to hear it. (laughs) Let me start with this team. Houston Astros out to a pretty good start. Uh, They've uh, gone to six and three in their first nine games uh, playing well, but they started on the road and they were hearing it pretty good from the fans. A couple of uh, trash cans here and uh, cat calls there I'm not sure they've handled it well. They've handled it well on the field, but their manager said, when asked about it, who among us hasn't? Uh, No, not the way to handle it, uh, uh, Dusty. Now that they've gone home, their fans are retaliating and booing the opposition, even though the opposition isn't necessarily a team that's cheated. I'm not sure that Houston is handling this whole situation right, other than getting out to a good start on the field, one loss-wise at 6-3, and three, is Houston handling this well in your eyes? Well,
0: I think they've been mishandling the situation from the beginning, and it goes back to the first press conference where Jim Crane, the owner of the team, sat down and there were some prepared statements by Altuve and Bregman, and they seemed as though the statements had been ill-prepared and they were not contrite at all. And I think that's what we want in this country. We want people to apologize, acknowledge what happened, and then move on. And I think that the Astros didn't properly do that. And I have a show on CBS called Nothing Personal, and I did a segment on this, I think, last week when Dusty Baker spoke and talked about who among us hasn't uh, done something wrong. And he's just the wrong guy to be talking about this. While he is the manager of the team currently, he had nothing to do with the trash can scandal. And he should not be the spokesperson for it. And if he is going to be forced to be put in that position, then he has to be scripted better. And I know Dusty, and and he's trying to say what's right and defend his team and be a player's manager. And I get that. But at the same time, you have to sort of scan the room and know the room. And I think that the Estros are suffering from not understanding it. Because if they were, certainly they would take a different tack than they're taking.
1: Two guys who actually have handled it okay, A.J. Hinch, the manager of that Astros team, and his uh, third base coach, Alex Cora, both paid the price, both were re- relieved from their jobs, but both have gotten rehired. Alex Cora fired by the Red Sox, brought back by the Red Sox, A.J. Hinch now skippering the uh, Tigers it, it, they they fessed up as much as they were going to fess up and then they were smart and uh, kept quiet thereafter and they were allowed back into the game. So it is something you can get past. It's just you have to handle it correctly if you want to get past it, right?
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about
1: that. And, and the
0: difference with Hinch and, and Cora is when they got suspended for the year and lost their jobs, it was clear that they were going to get another chance and I was not surprised by that at all, that it didn't take a day after their suspension is told for them to get hired again because, A, they're really good at what they do, and, B, they started early. Uh, When they were suspended, they acknowledged their role. They acknowledged they should have done better, and that's what people want to hear. This happened, and I didn't stop it, or this happened, and I was a part of it and didn't realize how wrong I was, but now I do. Anything other than what some of the current Astros are doing And so I think the Astros will learn. But on the other hand, from baseball standpoint, this is a great storyline. It's nice to have a heel or an enemy or a villain for (laughs) a season. And often it's the big, bad Yankees, but it's okay for the Astros to do it. And it's especially good for the sport if the Astros are a good team. And while they've lost Cole and they lost Verlander, who's hurt, uh, and they lost Springer to the Blue Jays, they have some depth. And and they're they're a good team and, and really could and should win the division. But uh, it's really good for baseball to have this kind of storyline.
1: Let me ask you about one more heel in this saga, kind of out of sight, out of mind. And that's the Astro General Manager Jeff Lunau, who, uh, much like his manager and his uh, third base coach, was given his walking the papers. He decided to handle it by suing. That he sued the Astros for millions of dollars in future pay. Uh, That lawsuit is still pending, but when you do something like that, you know full well you're cutting off any chance of getting back into the game or being hired by another team who's got an owner who says, hey, this guy will turn around and sue me if he doesn't like the way I do business with him. Uh, So he took his stance. Do you know anything about the update as to how that's going along? And am I overstating the fact that Jeff Lou now will never work in Major League Baseball again?
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I had said that from the beginning. He was not well liked when he was the president of Baseball Operations for the Astros. He always thought he was the smartest person in the room. And the other GMs really were not a big fan. And he, re- he was very much aligned with Jim Crane and with the Astros. But then he did something very strange where he said he had no idea this was going on. And I ran a team for 18 years, and there's not one thing that happened in that clubhouse that I didn't know about. And if there had been and it came to light, I would have said, I didn't know about it, but I should have. And therefore, I'm responsible for it. Because at the end of the day, Lunau controlled that team. And for him to say he didn't know what was happening is just uh, is beyond credul- cred- credible, Excuse me. and all the people in baseball recognized it. But he chose to fight it thinking that was a good move, and my, oh, my, was that a bad move? And the lawsuit, by the way, is over pay. When he got fired, they fired him for cause, claiming they didn't have to pay him out on his contract. He wants the money, thinking he was fired without cause, which I've done every day, Fired managers and GMs, and you just have to pay him the rest of their contract. But the Astros are trying to save the money, and in theory there should be a settlement because neither side would like to see this uh, out in public much longer
1: we'll see if that's the way it shakes out. Former uh, Marlins president, uh, uh, David Sampson, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. Are you bummed that Alex Rodriguez is going to be a professional team owner, but it's not baseball? He's going to the NBA, going to buy into the Minnesota Timberwolves, not following in the path of his old uh, infield mate, Derek Jeter. Does Major League Baseball need A-Rod?
0: No, not at all. I think A-Rod so badly wants to be an owner and I'm working on tomorrow. If nothing personal, actually I'm going to do a whole segment on this because it makes me smile that all of a sudden Mr. Miami who wanted to be in New York or Miami is now going up to Minnesota. And don't get me wrong. I love 10,000 lakes, just like the last guy, but uh, this is not the play for A-Rod. He either wants this team to, uh, to move it to maybe Seattle where he has some roots or, or he wants to use this as an interim step to learn about ownership. But his goal is, is to hoist a World Series trophy. But first he's got to get the money, then he's got to get 23 votes to get approved. But he's always chasing Derek Jeter's shadow, and to me, he's still Mm -hmm. chasing
1: it. He's chasing it all the way to Minnesota and the NBA. We'll see if it works out for Uh, A-Rod. Quick question about his uh, former team, the Yankees. They're off to a little bit of a slow start, got the bats going a little bit in extra innings today and beat the Rays. But uh, they went out and acquired Rugnit Odor, who is a tough to put a an evaluation on kind of player a couple of years ago he was one of the best young hitting second baseman in all of baseball but struggled badly two years ago and covid shortened year not great uh rangers were very willing to move off him because he's uh got a pretty good salary already and the yankees took him and gave very little up to get him how does he fit into their plan? what kind of a player at this stage of his career is rugnit odor yeah he's a
0: depth piece at best and uh You know, second base, a little bit of third base, but mostly second. And I believe that the Rangers are paying a huge amount of his salary. They just were ready to move on from him, and he wasn't going to get playing time with a team that's – even though they're in a new ballpark, they're sort of rebuilding, and they had been ready last year, but they they traded a bunch of players before this season, and they're not very good. And the Yankees, from their standpoint, are looking for infield help. Uh, No question about that. So I think it's a very low-risk signing – And I don't think it's a very impactful signing. I'm not sure that he's the difference for them. What I'm watching with the Yankees is what happens with their starting pitching because they're counting on Corey Kluver quite a bit, and I just don't know that he'll stay healthy. And if he is healthy, I don't know that he'll be effective. And he just had a bad start out. I think it was yesterday or someday this weekend. And it's just going to be tough to line up behind Garrett Cole. And if you're going to win a ring, you have to have at least two, at least two, but I think three or four really good starting pitchers and the Yankees, they just optioned for Mon who they thought would be toward the top of their rotation. And he wasn't. So I think that if I'm Brian Cashman, I'm trying to find a starter, uh, even before July because that a at least is not a guarantee for the Yankees.
1: Yeah. A couple teams like the Orioles and the Red Sox got out a little better than uh, we thought they would. Um, New baseballs this year. Major League Baseball was at least good enough to be up front and say, yes, we've configured the baseball a little differently again going into this year. And it supposedly has more drag. I'm seeing a slight drop off in home runs, but not a ton. I know it's a cottage industry for people to talk about this and trying to figure out exactly how the baseball is made and how it analytically plays out onto the field. Are you one of those? Do you you like to know what kind of baseball they're playing with? Or if you were in a presidential position, would you tell your general man, we need players like this because the baseball itself dictates this type of player will be successful. What do you make of the ever-changing baseball in baseball?
0: Boy, if there's a president or GM who says, find me a player that plays to the baseball, then I'll find you someone who's just completely full of it. You don't do it that way. Uh, the MLB will tell you how the baseball play, but at the end of the day, the real group who tells you are the players. They know the difference when there's something different with the baseball. So in our clubhouse in Miami, we would talk about the baseballs all the time and we wouldn't adjust our personnel for it, but we would know whether or not the players felt the difference and it's way too early after a week to know what the impact will be. You need a full year of stats and even that's not enough. When you look at what the story is with the baseball and whether or not, quote unquote, it's deadened or whether the ball is flying more juiced, all of those things. So, baseball has rules about how baseballs are made. And what MLB claimed is that these new baseballs are in the realm of the definition of what the baseball should be, so there may be no difference. But that sort of, uh, that kind of talk is not uh, accurate because any slight change the baseball makes, even within what is allowed in standards, is done for a reason. And the owners are getting a little tired of the home run strikes, strikeouts, and walks, and they're looking for more balls in play. They're looking for better opportunities uh, for offense. And offense, believe it or not, is not made better by sitting around waiting for a three-run home run. Offense is made better by putting the ball in play, getting the runners in motion, and that also leads to more excitement in the game and that's something I think everyone's looking for.
1: Love to catch-all in the general realm of the way that we make baseball. Yeah, that means you can basically do anything you want to it. David Sampson, our guest here on CBS Sports Radio. All right, David, what is the surest thing in baseball these days?
0: <laughs> what is the surest thing? That yes. Jacob DeGrom is going to pitch seven innings, give up zero or one runs, and not win a game. That, oh, to no. me, is more sure than the sunrise.
1: Damn, that's a great answer. Almost as good as mine, maybe even better. Um, but that was not what I was getting at. Uh, I was going with Tim LaCastro's stolen bases. <laughs> I could not believe this when I read this this morning. I know LaCastro is a nice little player, good role player coming off the bench, could flat out run. I had no idea. He was 27 for 27 in career-stolen bases when he swiped his 28th bag last night to set the new all-time major league record for consecutive successful steals at the start of one's career, erasing the mark set by Tim Raines. Oh, by the way, Tim Raines did his all-in-one year. has uh, done it over five years in the big leagues, but he is 28 for 28. There's nothing better than perfection, is there?
0: I think that that's very nice of you to say. I'm not sure that Rock needs to worry that he'll have a bust in the Hall of Fame next to, next to this player, but uh, that's a good one. Except I think for your audience, I like going with DeGrom because I think it really hurts, right? If you're a Mets fan, you're just despondent watching DeGrom pitch because if you're going to compete in the NL East, you need to win every one of Degrom starts. And what they're doing this year is the same as what happened in previous years and it's just crushing to the Mets' chances of getting to October when you're not winning the Grom Starts.
1: Yesterday, gave up one earned run over eight innings to lower his daytime ERA to 1.80 for his career, which is the lowest in Major League Baseball. And he still doesn't get a win with the Mets. You're right. That's an outstanding point on your part. All right. Uh, the other night... Joe Musgrove, speaking of making history, uh, set the uh, became the first San Diego Padre in their franchise history to ever throw a no-hitter. Their manager, Jace Tingler, had the bullpen up in the 6th inning, 7th inning, 8th inning, ninth inning, but he never went to it. He let Musgrove finish it out, got the job done. If you were the president of the Padres after the game, would you go down and shake manager Jace Tingler's hand for allowing it to happen? Or would you go down and go, what were you thinking? We need this guy. You led him to 112 pitches, second start of the season. How would that conversation go between you and Tingler?
0: I would give him a hug and thank him because it's such a benefit to an organization to get a no-hitter. You can market it. You get nationwide, if not worldwide, attention for it. You've never had one in your franchise history And it reminded me of what, oh, my God, I'm blanking. Was it Terry Collins, who was the manager when Johan Santana got the Mets no hitter, the only no hitter in their history? And he let him in for, I think it was 270 pitches. (laughs) And uh, and that was pretty much the end of Santana's career. But at the end of the day, he did get that no hitter. And the Marlins were a strange franchise. I was a part of so many no hitters, and our franchise has so many no hitters. But we've never had a player hit for the cycle in our franchise history. And we knew the Padres were an organization who had never had no hitter. And you just want to get that because it's so – it's forever history. And having Joe Musgrove do it, who is a native, he's from San Diego, it's just such a great story. And the Padres needed some good news after the Tatis injury. So I was very, very happy for Joe, happy for the Padres organization. It's really, really cool. And, by the way, 112 pitches. If I were Jack McKean, the old manager of the Marlins, he would say 112, I would have sent him for 150.
1: He was not not big into
0: pitch counts. Uh, he thinks we baby pitchers too much, and that's why they get hurt so much. So uh, I think Tingler did the right thing.
1: I think 150 was a little closer to the number that uh, uh, the one <laughs> met no hitter was. Not quite 235. I know, I was point, Your I point was, was like one, well taken.
0: I think it was like, and, I, and I'm trying to rain man this, I think it was like 142 with something yeah. like the pitch count back in.
1: Sneaking up on 150. All right, uh, for your neck of the woods, uh, your ballywick. Right now, Major League owners are being handled by the towns, the counties, the states that they're in, and uh, judging and putting in limitations for how many fans can be in this stance. I'm sure that uh, they're At least I know they're better off than they were last year when there were no fans in the stands. But they're at the mercy of the politicians and the governing bodies in where that they play. Each individual state, town, wherever you are, has different uh, numbers at this time for amount of people that they are letting in. So I get it; it's on a very individual basis. But but as a collective, do you know if owners are okay with where they're at? Are they? Disappointed that the numbers aren't bigger, are they perfectly fine with them because they do care about their players and the fans and the like, and they think that the numbers are right? General consensus. I don't know. This is a tough question. How are Major League Baseball owners sitting with where we are these days with uh, coronavirus-decided fan bases?
0: So publicly, their position is that they're very, very supportive of their municipalities, very supportive of the rules. They want everyone to be safe and well. And that's their public position. Privately, they would like to be at 100%. They'd like full stadiums because they need they need and want the revenue. And, you know, they're calling a sellout when you have 8,000 or 9,000 people because they're saying that's as many people as can be at the game under the regulations. And right. if you're the Marlins, that's exciting because you can say you're sold out. But if you're a team like the Cardinals or the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Mets or the Cubs and I could go on – You want more people. You need more people. And the minute that they're allowed to, they're going to do it. And what's going on behind the scenes, again, very quietly, these owners are negotiating with the public entities because they want to see the percentage capacity allowed increased fast.
1: It's not uh, bad in some places. It's very good. In others, uh, Texas uh, was able to fill up their stadium for their opener, but some um, are still in a position where they have to be kind of careful. All right, uh, last thing for you. David, I got to tell you I'm jealous. Not the fact that you were president of a major league baseball team for years, but for the fact that you got to do a season on Survivor, which is one of my favorite shows ever on television, I am absolutely stone-cold jealous, and I'm now I'm probably of the age where it would not be advisable for me to do something like that. Um, do you ever think about Did Did you consider doing a return engagement? They have a lot of people back for second and or third tries on the show. Have you ever investigated the possibility of returning to Survivor?
0: Well, I'll tell you uh, that I wanted to be on Survivor from the minute it debuted. I watched the first episode of the first season in the owner's suite with Larry Beinfest, who was the assistant GM of the Expos. And we were in Olympic Stadium in 2000. And I remember saying to Larry, I want to do this show. And I applied. (laughs) And uh, it took 13 years before the timing worked out. And I went on the show. I was sure I was going to win. And Jeff Probst, during the interview process, says, you know, David, you're not going to win this game. I said, no, Jeff, I'm going to win a million dollars in 39 days. And that will be an efficient use of my time. And he smiled. I smiled. We get out to the Island. I'm all excited. Everything's great. The cameras start rolling. And all of a sudden I started acting like the president of a team. I I was way too aggressive, way too early. And it cost me. So I think about it every day. Uh, Being the first boot is something that, uh, it's funny, it's a failure of epic proportions in my mind, wrapped in the success of going after a dream that I had. So it's an interesting thing in life where something could be both a success and a failure all at once. And if you're lucky, you get a few of those in a lifetime. And uh, if you're asking, would I do it again? I would say, wait to see.
1: Okay, wait to see. I was going to say, that's a great answer. The only problem is you didn't answer my question, and you did. Wait and see. We'll do just that. David, I can't wait to get you on again. We will certainly be buzzing during the season. Thanks for a good couple minutes with us today. We'll talk to you soon enough.
0: Have a great day. Thank you.
1: My pleasure. That is David Sampson, former president of the Florida-slash-Miami Marlins, now doing analyst work for us at CBS on CBS HQ. Jody Mack will continue the analyst work on the telephone lines with a helping hand. That would be you on my phones. Get aboard at 855-212-4227. macman here with you on CBS Sports Radio.
2: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road